as well. Um, so with that, we're going to be in Matthew 6 this morning. Matthew 6, specifically verses 25 through 34. You may say, why are we in Matthew 6? Um, we've been spending the past couple weeks in James. Why are we jumping to Matthew? Uh, well, last week, uh, Colby talked a lot about God's will. Uh, if you were here last week, he put up three categories for us to think about God's will in our life. Um, he also brought out uh, Gracie's mist prayer and was talking about how our life is but a mist, but a vapor, and that we should, in our life, be seeking after the will of God. And he he approached it from a theological, a more theological aspect. So today we wanted to take a look at what does Jesus say we should do explicitly and get a little bit more practical with it. What does it look like to apply that to our lives? So Matthew 6, 25-34, it reads, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is your life, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O, little, o you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, this is the key verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we have your word, that you have preserved it over thousands of years, so that today we can have it all in one singly, sing, uh, one bound book, uh, Lord, where everything uh, that you have wanted us to know the story of how you are working in our lives, how you've continued to work in all of humanity is here for us now. So we thank you for that. We pray this morning that you would just help us uh, as we seek to love you, as we seek to enjoy all that you are. We uh, ask, Spirit, that you would help to convict us where we need to be convicted. That you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Or that you would remind us that you are with us now in this room. And that as we walk out, you continue to walk alongside of us. So again, I thank you for the privilege that it is to preach. I pray that you would speak through me. If, if you don't, uh, it's, it's worth nothing. And so I ask, Spirit, would you speak through me? Would we love you? We praise you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, I have to admit, I was a terrible student in college. 
Uh, my degree is in pastoral ministry. So you think standing up here right now, I would have spent a lot of time focused on school. Uh, but I have to admit, I was a terrible student. Uh, my focuses while I was in school were on uh, uh, friendships, building a reputation, honestly, uh, working a lot so I can make a lot of money and have some nice things. Uh, it may sound a little cringy to say, but I mean, maybe becoming popular, right? I was not focused on school. I was focused on all of these other things, and it showed in how I lived. I spent, I'm a guy, unfortunately, that needs like nine hours of sleep to be functional, um, and I spent way too many late nights out with friends because I would rather do that than do school. I went to way too many school functions that I shouldn't have gone to. I had more important things to do, uh, but I did those. I worked way more than I needed to uh, because I liked having money to buy nice things. And on the flip side, it showed in how little I prioritized school by the amount of time that I spent on it. If I had an assignment that was due at midnight, I was often starting it at 10 or 11 that night. In class, I was only paying attention if the professor would say, hey, by the way, this is going to be on the test, right? And then I was locked in. In group discussions, I wasn't super, uh, super involved. Um, reading, I wish that I had read so much more than I did. I barely read like I was supposed to. What I needed was someone to come alongside of me and tell me that I had my priorities out of line. I needed someone to come alongside of me and say, hey, while you're in school, your focus should be on school. Right? Much in the same way that a grandpa may take you out onto the front porch and tell you, hey, listen, I've lived a lot of life. And I can tell you that the things that really matter are your loved ones, right? your family, your friends. Right? I needed someone to come alongside of me and say, hey, while, while you're here, this is what you should focus on. And you're going to regret it if you don't. I think, I think that's what Jesus is doing here with us, right? He is, uh, for lack of a better term, he is the one who has the most life experience out of anyone that's ever walked the face of the earth. And much in the same way that your grandpa may say, hey, stop, stop working so hard to focus on the reputation and come home and hang out with your family. Jesus is saying, don't, don't be anxious about these things. Instead, I want to tell you what truly makes a life, what truly makes a good life, what you should be doing with your time, with your thoughts, with your concerns. It should be focused on this. So uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning focused on verse 33, verse 33. The rest of that is uh, 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 um, just a background to help us get to verse 33, right? All of it is stated in the negative, do not. Do not, do not, until you get to verse 33, which is do this. And so I think we should spend the majority of our time there. So uh, before we jump in, I want to give us the main idea up front. Main idea up front. It's seeking first the kingdom of God means that we should prioritize valuing what God values and living out God's purposes. I'll say that again. Seeking first the kingdom of God means that we should prioritize valuing what God values and living out God's purposes. So even though we're going to focus mostly on verse 33, it is worth a second to take a look at what is Jesus saying that we're anxious about, right? What are the wrong priorities? Well, take a look at verse 25. 
He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. The category that he's giving us here is that we're concerned about provision, about provision. Now, my guess is that most of us in this room aren't wholly concerned with basic needs, like having clothes to be able to clothe ourselves with or having enough food to put onto the table. I could be wrong about that, but uh, my guess is that that is the case. I think the way that this pops up, the anxiety about provision, pops up in our desire for safety and security. Safety and security. I mean, we live 30 minutes or three hours south, depending on traffic, of a city that is wholly concerned with the safety and security of our nation. Right? And we are the same way. Right? Much of what we do in life is, this, is aiming at establishing safety and security for us and those that we love. I mean, think about it. We work hard to get a promotion at our job so that we can earn more money as a means of security for us and for our family. Oftentimes when we choose where to live, right, in this area we're probably looking for what's affordable, but at the same time we're looking for what's the safe neighborhood, what's the secure neighborhood. I mean, it even ble- uh, bleeds over into spiritual things, right? When we pray, oftentimes we're sparked to pray by some- something threatening our safety and security. Or when we do pray, I mean, we're praying like, Lord, protect so-and-so. And again, it's not bad. It's not bad, but this is what we're doing. We're thinking about safety and security. So Jesus is giving us first the category of provision. Provision. Second, Jesus says that we are concerned with the future. In verse 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Concerned with the future. I can identify with this. I mean, the past, uh, I, uh, Lyd and I have a baby coming in seven and a half weeks. Uh, the past seven months have been me being wholly and totally concerned with what does the future look like. How am I going to provide for Lyd? How am I going to provide for our baby? Right? What's going to happen, you know, when it comes time for uh, Lyd to give birth? I mean, all of that is taking center stage in my mind. I mean, even if you're not in my stage of life, we're, we're constantly still thinking about the future. I mean, it can look like just asking the question, what will become of me? What will become of my family? What will become of my kids? Will they be successful in life? Will they marry the right person? Will they be Christians? Right? Think about what does my next, next decade look like? We're coming up on November of next year. What will become of our nation? Who's going to become president? And the ultimate future question, when will I die? Is it soon? Is it far off? We're concerned about the future. So the two categories that Jesus gives us are we're concerned about provision and we're concerned about the future. And I think we could probably add a lot more to this. We live in a hyper-anxious society. The risk of sounding like an old guy, I think with uh, the rise of social media, right, it's created where we see everybody's best self, and we're realizing our life does not line up to everyone else's best self, right? We get FOMO, fear of missing out, constantly anxious that I'm not making the most out of life. I'm anxious uh, that I am not, uh, that I don't, haven't built up a reputation for myself. I mean, there is so much that we could be anxious about. Now, I do want to give a disclaimer here, 
because you could hear me saying, stop worrying about those things. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to say that. Uh, it would be terrible for you to go out of here and say, I'm going to quit my job if Jesus said, don't be anxious about, uh, you know, what you're going to wear or anything like that, right? That's not what I would want you to do. Providing for you and for your family and thinking about where you are going in life are not bad things. They just become bad when they become primary. They produce anxiety for us. We worry over them only when they take center stage in our life. So what does Jesus say we should prioritize? What should be primary in our life? He says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean, though? I think uh, if I were to just leave us there, I think most of us would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. But then if I were to ask you to explain it, it might be a little bit like a, a dream that you have, right, where you go, man, I had the craziest dream last night. And somebody says, oh, yeah, what happened? And all of a sudden, you, you can't remember what exactly happened in your dream? I think it might would be the same way. What, when we're asked to break it down, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, before we get into seeking, I do think it's important to ask, what are we seeking? What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is a theme found all throughout the Bible and simply refers to God's rule and reign. And I know you guys are probably hoping for a little bit of a more full definition to that. Um, but that's the definition of the kingdom of God that theologians have been able to come up with as they, as they read their Bibles. All right, it's easier to see in certain places in the Bible than in others. I mean, think about the Old Testament. In Eden, we have a physical kingdom where God is the ruler and Adam and Eve are the vice regents taking care of the kingdom of the Garden of Eden, right? It's the kingdom of God. It's supposed to spread out and expand over the entire earth so that all that the earth is will be uh, covered by the kingdom of God. It's also easy for us to see the kingdom of God in Israel. Uh, you had a particular people with God as their ruler. He even gave them a particular set of laws and then gave them a place, the promised land or the land of Canaan, in which they could build a physical kingdom. And again, that kingdom was supposed to expand and take over the entire earth as the kingdom of God. It's, easy, it's even easy to see in Revelation, which we read about this morning. You get a picture of walking down actual visual streets with God being in the center, so much so that we don't need a sun because he's shining so bright. It's a real, physical place. But what is it now? I skipped over a large portion of history right there. I went from Israel to Revelation. Where do we fit into that? Right? Well, the Israelites were also confused about it. They wanted Jesus to come and establish a physical kingdom. Even in Acts 1, when Jesus is about to ascend out of the earth, the disciples ask, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom of God? They were ready for what we read about in Revelation 21 and 22 to take place right then and there. But it hasn't. It hasn't. So what does the kingdom of God look like now? Well, we live in a time of history that theologians refer to as the already, not yet. Already, not yet. So, again, the kingdom of God refers to God's reign, and God is reigning. 
right? He's reigning over all of the earth, but then he's, uh, uh, it's referred to as his particular reign uh, over us, over Christians. When somebody declares that they are done with their sin and that they are following Jesus, the kingdom of God is there with them. But we still don't get to experience it in its fullness, right? In the already, right, we have been already justified. We've been already made right with God. But we've not yet been glorified, able to be in the direct presence of God. We've begun the process of sanctification. We are being sanctified now, but we still yet don't know what it's like to be free of sin and living in a world that is free of sin. We live in an already not yet. The kingdom of God was initiated with Jesus, but it's not been completed or consummated. It's been inaugurated, but not finalized. God is reigning now, but we still long for the day that Jesus returns to establish God's reign as a physical kingdom throughout all the earth and all of the heavens. So the kingdom of God simply refers to God's reign and rule. God's reign and rule, which we are a part of. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, first, I want to say that all of life is seeking. Um, all the things that I mentioned earlier, right, seeking to establish uh, safety and security, seeking to plan the future, even something as simple as sitting down on your phone and mindlessly scro scrolling through social media is seeking pleasure or seeking to check out. All of life is seeking. But I do think also that Paul helps us out uh, to understand a little bit of what seek means in Colossians 3. He helps us to give some language to expand out that definition. So in Colossians 3, 1, in the first verse, he says to seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above and not those that are below. And then in the next verse, he says, in place of the word seek, he says, set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are below. So he replaces the word seek with set your mind. It gives us a help to understand what he's trying to say. And I think it's the same thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying to set your mind on the kingdom of God. And this has real life impact for us. When you set your mind on something, it affects what you care about, and that affects how you act. When I set my mind on marrying Lyd, uh, it changed me a lot. I was consumed with thinking about every aspect of marrying her. I began to think about, or I wanted to, to, I cared about providing for her. I cared about giving her the ring of her dreams. I cared about what it would look like to create a forever marriage. I began to care about a lot of things. And those cares changed my actions. Because I wanted to care for her, and because I wanted to give her the ring of her dreams, I picked up a second job. Because I cared about what our future looked like, our conversation shifted from being primarily focused on the here and now into what we wanted to become in life. Even my conversations with others shifted. I started having a lot more conversations with my parents about what marriage would look like, what makes a good marriage. Setting my mind on marrying her changed what I cared about, and how I lived my life, or the purpose with which I lived my life. So, I think that is what we're getting at when Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God. Right? So, it changes what we care about. 
changes that we care about. What does God care about? What does God value? Well, we can probably overwhelm ourselves pretty quickly with what God values. I mean, pick up your Bible and you'll find a lot about what God values. But graciously for us, Jesus helped to sum up all that God cares about in a few sentences. Uh, It says the Pharisees were asking, what's the most important commandment? What matters the most to God? And Jesus answers with this. In Matthew 22, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, they only asked for one, but he gave them a second. It's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything that had been written about up until the point of Jesus' life here can be summed up in those two things. God cares about us loving him, and God cares about us loving others. Right? When he says that God cares about us loving him, uh, he doesn't just say that we should love God and then moves on. Right? Yeah, he says that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. In other words, in everything here and now, as it always has been, is that we love him with all that we are. And then tied up in that is that God wants us to love others. Much in the same way that I've begun to love the things that my wife loves, we should begin to love the people that God loves. As we love God, we begin to love what and who he loves. And that sounds pretty simple if we just leave it there. I just have to care about loving God and loving people. And I think I'm doing that. But what if it gets fleshed out practically? It's easy to care about what God cares about when our values already line up with God's values. I mean, I can think about uh, this uh, sanctity of life. I think most of us, if not all of us in this room, would agree that abortion is a sin and that we should do what we can to eradicate it to provide other opportunities for women who are thinking about doing that. It's pretty easy for us to align ourselves with what God values there. Uh, I think it's pretty easy for us to value regular attendance at church. We're all here this morning. God says that he cares about us gathering together. Hebrews says, don't neglect the regular gathering of one another. I think that's pretty easy to value that. We care about showing up so that we can fellowship and hear God's word. What happens when our values are different from God's? What happens when, we, when what we care about most is not really what God cares about most? You know, think about relationships. What if God doesn't want me to just hang out with other people um, just to shoot the breeze? What if God cares about people actually knowing me? What if God cares about people knowing the parts of myself that I like to hide? that I don't really want other people to know? Right? What if I'm supposed to forgive that person that it feels like I can't forgive? I think about our time. What if I'm not supposed to use all of my time for myself? What if I'm supposed to use my free time to disciple someone else or serve my community or serve my spouse or my kids? Think about thoughts. 
right? Like, what if what I'm thinking about matters to God? Sure, I didn't say it. I didn't act on it. Um, I just thought it. But what if that matters to God as well? God is not calling us to a compartmentalized faith. He's not calling us to actively value what he values when it's easy for us to do so. And then to remain quietly neutral when it's harder for us to value what he values. Or when we find it uncomfortable or inconvenient. Instead, he's calling for all that we are, right? Our heart, our soul, our strength. Right, all that we are to be consumed with what he cares about. So I have a few diagnostic questions for us to figure out where our values currently lie. And then a few questions that we can ask to help us align our values to God's values going forward. So if they're not up on the screen, I do apologize for that. So I'll try and read them slowly. We're dealing with, but I haven't confessed to anyone because it might have some real life consequences. When you pray, what do you pray about? So really quick, what's the first thing that you think about when you get a bonus or tax return? What do you want most for your kids? Do you have a sin that you're dealing with but haven't confessed to anyone? And when you pray, what's the content of your prayer? All right, so that's to help us diagnose where we're currently at so that we can be honest with ourselves. Where are we currently at? It does us no good to think that we're better off than we actually are. So that's to help, help us diagnose. Now, moving forward, what are some things that we can do that can help us to value what God values, to align what we care about to what God cares about? When can you have a conversation with your spouse about how you can help them to flourish spiritually? Say that again. When can you have a conversation with your spouse about how you can help them to flourish spiritually. Right, if you want to get to know God's values, right, they're in here. What's a passage of the Bible that you can choose to memorize over the month of May? Right, as you memorize God's word, you're taking it in, and you can meditate on it, think on it. Right, so what's a passage of the Bible that you can choose to memorize over the month of May? And then relationally, who's someone that you haven't forgiven? but could choose to forgive? What does that first step look like? So again, those are to diagnose and uh, to move forward. And I think there is a chance, uh, you may be thinking, Cody, this sounds a little legalistic. Like you're just giving us a list of to-dos. Um, I'm not trying to give you more. On one hand, I, I do want to get across that becoming a citizen of God's kingdom really does have real life consequences and really does affect and change your life. Right? Once we were dead, as Ephesians 2 says, living in our own passions and desires, and now we're alive, living for God. The change that, be, that comes with being a Christian should produce a change that begins to affect each and every aspect or compartment of your life. So I, I do want to get that across. We should be changed people. We should be continuing to change as we're sanctified. And then on the other hand, I think that when we value what God values, we begin to align our hearts with his. We begin to ex experience him in all of his fullness. Right? Practically, what does that mean? It means that we begin to experience the love 
the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that God has. Imagine a life defined by those characteristics. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? When we begin to care about what God cares about, we get to experience the joy it is to have God's heart and his understanding of the world. Right? Not only that, but then as we begin to change our life so that it is in step with what God cares about, when we align our values with God's values, our life begins to have actual changes that are for the good. And that brings us to, to purpose. Right? Our values inform our purpose in life. And as we jump into God's purposes for us, I want to acknowledge that we might have two camps in the room, potentially. For some of us in the room, our view of how we participate in God's kingdom or our purpose in God's kingdom is too low. We might think that if we attend church on Sunday, maybe attend a life group during the week, and then read our Bible semi-regularly, we are participating in God's kingdom. If we're feeling extra godly, then we might extend ourselves to sharing the gospel with a coworker or somebody like that. And this might be you if you think, if you're thinking about God's kingdom, it sounds boring. It sounds boring to participate in God's kingdom. Now, that's one camp. There's another camp where our view of participating in God's kingdom could potentially be higher than what God wants. Now, I know that sounds odd. Um, but I think that maybe because of, uh, no hate to them, but books like Radical, or even a church culture that I love here, but that is centered around church planting, could have you thinking that the only way that you can uh, pr- uh, participate in God's kingdom or live out God's purpose in your life is to sell everything that you have and to move overseas. Right? And to take a, to take a second, right, this, th- or this might be you, if uh, thinking about God's kingdom or your participation or purpose in God's kingdom sounds too stressful, or you think that you're not that kind of person. But my hope is, as we talk about the purpose of God and our living out those purposes and participating in those purposes, that for those of us in the room in the first category, we can understand and feel the excitement of finding purpose in the kingdom of God in everyday life. And for the, the second group, that you can see how you can establish God's reign, right? Seeking first the kingdom of God, setting your mind to God's reign, how that can affect your life now. And you can continue living what we could call an ordinary life that has an extraordinary purpose. So, all that to say, what I care about drives how I live. When I care about what God cares about, I want to see those values change every aspect of my life. And now, again, this isn't a legalistic do better. Right? You're not doing enough, you need to do more. At the risk of sounding cheesy, it's a call to join God in adventure. It's a call to enjoy God in each and every aspect of our life. And to join him in the task of building and expanding his kingdom now as we anticipate the fullness of his kingdom coming back one day. Because we now live with purpose every mundane moment, task, or aspect of your life is made majestic. It has a hint of God's majesty to it. So what does this actually look like in our life, right? Think about relationships, right? your, your family. 
Now, my conversations with my spouse and kids take on a more significant meaning. I want to know where they are at spiritually. I want to know how I can continue to help them to enjoy God and see God's goodness in different things. Things that may seem ordinary, such as eating a meal with my family, is now a time I can help them to understand the extraordinary beauty and joy of God. As I'm taking them out for a walk in the park, I get to help them to see God in nature. As I'm helping them to, uh, you know, learn a different hobby or play a sport with them, I, I can talk about how we enjoy God through even the act of play. Right? Think about uh, your friendships. Our friendships take on a different, a different level. I want to know what's going on in your life and actually going on in your life. I want to know the parts that you don't want to tell me because I want to help you to enjoy God for all that he is in each and every intricate part of your life. I want to encourage you as you seek to honor God. Our relationships take on a majestic level to them. My work, my work is now not just a means of collecting a paycheck, right? It's a chance to see the character of God at my work on one hand, right? If I, if I work in a service industry, I get to reflect and see how God serves me. If I get to work in an industry where I'm constantly creating, I get to reflect on the beauty of what it is to serve a creative God as he continues to create uh, now uh, in this time. And then, so on one hand, we get to enjoy the aspects of God in our work. On the other hand, it's a chance to join God in expanding his kingdom. Right, my relationships with my coworkers are no longer defined by work. Right, now my goal is to help them to enjoy God. Right, my primary thought is to help them to encourage them to see God for all that he truly is. Again, I mentioned it earlier, but play. Even my time doing a hobby that I love is a chance to enjoy the God who has given it to me. Right, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's a chance to thank God that I have an able body when I'm playing basketball. It's a chance to enjoy nature as I'm out on a hike. It's a chance to enjoy the humans that he has created as I'm hanging out with those that I love. Right? It's it being able to enjoy the mind or creativity that he has given me as I read a book or as I paint. Even my free time takes on a different meaning. If I, if I choose to rest, I now see it as a chance to enjoy God and enjoy the fact that I don't have to work to earn his grace. That even as I rest, he's still working his purposes out in the world. It's a chance to slow down to see how he's moving in the world and how he's moving in my life. I can also use my free time to enjoy God through serving others. I can join God where he is currently at work by serving my community, by discipling others, by having uh, that other family over for dinner. We had some people over at our house uh, last night, and uh, we were reminiscing uh, on the early days of being here at Pillar uh, and some of the most exciting days for me as an eight-year-old were times where we would go door-to-door to people's houses to share the gospel and pray for them, right? Most uh, kids, I think, would rather be out playing basketball, um, but that's all that we knew. That is all that we knew is where uh, we got to enjoy God. That was in our free time. That was in my parents' free time that they took us out to go and do that. It was a chance to enjoy God. Activities at church take on a majestic meaning. Kids' ministry is now a chance to show kids in our church just how good God is and to help them to understand just how we can enjoy God and all that he is. Setup team is a way for me to enjoy that God has brought us together in this place to gather each week. It's a chance to contribute to what God is doing through the weekly service. 
Connections team is a chance to in God's extraordinary work. God is inviting us to the good life with him here and now. So just as I did with values, I, I again, want to give us some diagnostic questions about how we're living out God's purpose in our life to see where we're really at. And these hurt when I, when I came up with the questions. And then I also want to give us some, some thoughts, some, some questions of moving forward, what we can do to help us to uh, live out God's purpose in our life. So first, to help diagnose us, what do you do with your free time? Or when you do have free time, what's the first thing that your mind goes to? How are you, yourself, particularly contributing to the flourishing of your local church, whether it's this church or another? Who at your work knows that you're a Christian? So that's to help us diagnose. Now moving forward, think about one of your neighbors. When's the next time that you can invite them over to your house for a meal? Again, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just a time of talking over dinner. Next, what's a specific talent or passion that you have, that God has given you? And how could that passion or talent contribute to this church growing in its love of God? Say that again. What's a specific talent or passion that you have? And how could that passion or talent contribute to this church growing in its love of God. And then finally, what's a regular thing that you and your family do that could be a means of helping your family to enjoy and worship God? For example, do you eat dinner regularly? Could you use that time to help your kids understand the beauty of, of God as you reflect on their days? So, seeking first the kingdom of God means that we align our values with God's values and that we seek God's purpose in our life. My number one concern for us as we uh, leave today is this. When you're thinking about how you can begin to care about what God cares about and to see each moment, relationship, and task as a chance to live out the purposes of God, my concern is that you would begin to only think about the future. That you'd fall into the trap that uh, verse 34 lays out to us about not being anxious about tomorrow. I think that we could walk into that trap even as we begin to think about good things. Like caring about what God cares about or doing what he cares about. Right? We can begin to begin uh, become so consumed in our thoughts about how we can live out God's purposes this week that we forget to live them out today. We begin to think about our schedule this week and how those moments are affected by setting our mind on the kingdom of God. And then we forget to set our mind on the kingdom of God today in this moment as we interact with others. So if you're, in the, if you're a Christian in the room, my hope and prayer is that you don't put it off. Think about this moment and how the kingdom of God, setting your mind on the kingdom of God changes this moment. And as you continue to do that, moment by moment, day by day, your life will begin to be consumed by seeking first the kingdom of God. And that's how you get to find life's purpose, life's meaning. The will of God for you is that in this moment, 
and in every moment to think about the cares and values of God and how they make this moment majestic. And if you're not a Christian in this room, I invite you today to ask yourself this question. What is it that I'm seeking now? What am I constantly setting my mind on? What's the purpose of my life? Right? I invite you to consider what life would be like with Jesus. Jesus, the son of God in the flesh who came down and lived the perfect life that we can't live. He lived these. He cared about what God cared about. He lived out the father's purposes. Right? And then he, he died, right? Died, was buried, and then resurrected so that we could be dead to sin and made alive to God so that we can now participate in God's kingdom unlike we could before. What does it look like to give yourself to Jesus, to get caught up in these purposes, right? I can tell you that chasing after anything other than God is going to be like chasing after money, only to have it disappear all overnight. Everything that you've worked for, gone. God himself is worth more than anything else that we could live our life for. I invite you today to consider what it would look like to give yourself to God. To say that you're done trying to live for yourself for your own purposes. And to live for him instead. That is the good life. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you have called us to be able to participate in your purposes. In your kingdom. You could have chosen to work in such a way where we... Uh, we're not invited in. But instead, you've given us the joy, the privilege, the honor to be able to walk with you, Lord. To be able to see your kingdom expanded and built up in us. So, Lord, I pray for us today in this room as we are thinking about how we can enjoy you through caring about what you care about and living out your purposes in our life. God, I pray that you would just help give us wisdom in that. I pray that you would sustain us in that, that we would not be doing that as another thing to do, to make it seem like we're right before you, Lord. I pray that we would be doing this out of a joy of uh, being within your kingdom. We anticipate your return, Jesus. We're ready for you to come back. We're ready for us to be able to experience what we read about this morning in Revelation, being able to experience your direct presence. So we ask, come quickly, and we ask now in this moment to help us.